0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 3 as we we continue our study, and um, faith. Faith is a word that all of us know in some form or another. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you understand that faith is Believing that what Christ did on the cross was sufficient to pay for your sins. And by accepting that death as payment, you have eternal life. But where we kind of get into trouble is in the day-to-day faith. The day-to-day things of life that, that uh, we want to happen certain ways. And what really happens is we get into this battle with our own spirits. I know I can trust God, I know that He said He is able, but when things don't go the way I really want them to go, my faith begins to weaken, and I begin to struggle. And uh, we're beginning uh, this, this morning on the fly. <laughs> uh, before we get to Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, I want you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11, and Katrina doesn't even have these verses, but... Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter. It's the chapter that chronicles all the amazing feats by some of the great Bible characters. Moses, Abraham, Ruth. And all through it, it talks about by faith, they did such and such. By faith, they achieved this. By faith, they were able to do that. And we look at that and we say, that's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith that I want to resonate With me. But did you ever read the whole chapter? I want you to go with me to verse 35. It says Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised." Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So the only reward these folks are going to get for their faith is when they get to heaven. And when you look at what they went through, yet they're commended for their faith, you begin to understand that true faith, real, honest faith, is the faith in Jesus Christ to do whatever He chooses with my life. If it brings glory to Him through suffering, bring it on. If it brings glory to God by achieving great things, bring it on. If it brings glory by building big churches and, and spreading the gospel, bring it on. But if it comes through bringing God glory through suffering, then I want to be what God wants me to be. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says... And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, our modern translations sometimes miss the real point of the verse, and here is no exception. The phrase that says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, literally The King James hits it better here when it says, through the faith of Christ. Now, the literal Greek, this is the way it's it's spoken in the literal Greek. But things which by faith of Christ is. So what you begin to understand right off the get-go here is that Paul is talking about a faith that comes from Christ. He's not talking about my ability to exercise a faith that triumphs. He says right at the beginning, I'm not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, my faith, my righteousness is not my doing. It's not something I've achieved. It's not me squeezing real hard to have enough faith. It's not me believing over the top to conquer things. It's simply a faith in what Christ has given you. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ that liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So rather than expressing it as I place my faith in Christ, I think the better way to say it is my faith rests on Christ's faith. The faith that's imputed to us at the time we accept Christ. Now, all true teaching of the Word of God must stress that God alone is responsible for our salvation. But when this is said, any person may ask, well, how then does faith apply to me? You say that God offers righteousness to the weak and the lowly. You say that God offers His righteousness to all those who lack it. What must I do then to receive righteousness? By what means does this wonderful salvation become mine? If it's all of Christ, then where does my faith come in? Well, the answer to all these questions is that God's righteousness becomes yours personally through faith. In the letter to Hebrews, Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Romans tells us in Romans 1.17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So faith for faith is literally faith begets faith. My faith is strengthened when I place it in Christ and allow his faith to live through me. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So here in Philippians, Paul echoes the same teaching. He writes of his wish to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own. So you see, where you and I probably find our greatest struggles is when my will hits his will. When God's leading and God's desire for my life comes in conflict with me and what I want. Christ, it's it's faith in Christ and righteousness by faith. And these verses speak very clearly of the human side of our faith blending with his. So notice then, first of all, that faith is simply belief. And let me put this in very simple terms. People are often puzzled by this word faith. Faith is simply belief. If you believe in a thing, you have faith in it. Thus, faith is one of the most common realities of life. In fact, it's far more common, for instance, than romantic love, artistic insight, exceptional intelligence. All these things are only enjoyed by some people. But faith is expressed by everyone. In spite of this truth, there have been many attempts to discredit faith by turning it into something that it was never intended to be. Every attempt to define faith as believing something you know is not true is an example of this delusion. Uh, in this case, faith becomes delusional. When one of the many sects that cling to the perimeters of Christianity tries to teach that sin and evil and sickness doesn't exist if you have enough faith, is delusional. Another substitute for faith is credulity. Uh, credulity... If you have your dictionary app on your phone, you can click on it, and it says, Willingness to believe or trust too readily, exceptional, uh, especially without proper or adequate evidence. In other words, credulity is gullibility. That's really what it is. And credulity is the attitude of a person who will accept something as true apart from evidence, simply because they earnestly desire and wish it to be. Uh, rumors of miraculous cures for diseases and people try to believe them and, and focus on them when they're not real is, is causes a lot of uh, discomfort and problems with people. The most common dis, uh, distortion of faith, however, in our day is an attempt to make faith subjective. This is also known as the faith of existentialism. And it is at the heart of all religious, quote, feelings. Divorced from objective truth of Scripture. It's based on my own belief and what I want it to be. The thought makes room for everyone to interpret the Scriptures as fits them. So that belief is everybody's going to heaven because this is just the way I believe and God is love. He'll work with me. That's the idea. These people often claim to be Christians but they don't even believe in the virgin birth the death of Jesus for our sins, they question the authority of Scripture, and yet when you pointed out that all these things are necessary to be a Christian, their response is, yeah, but deep down inside, that's what I know. So really, existentialism is a creation of a belief, a religious belief, without any facts. It's simply a wishful situation. So these people often claim to have it all all squared away, But true faith is not based on feelings. When you drive your car across a bridge, for example, your faith is in the engineers that designed it, in the workers who build it and maintain it, and in the inspectors that signed off on it that it is truly safe. If you have a doubt in any of those areas, you don't cross the bridge. And this is true in every area of life. When you drive home... When you take a flight, get on a bus, build a home. In every case, faith is believing something on the basis of evidence and acting upon it. The greatest example of faith is the way a man and a woman commit themselves to each other in marriage. The man says, will you marry me? The woman says, yes. The whole conversation is five words. But it's an expressed belief in the faith of each person that they will remain faithful and confident till death. So it is no no accident that the pledge of a man to a woman is been or excuse me the pledge of a man to a woman the woman to the man has been in scripture scripture as well as poetry. An illustration of the bond of faith that God has between his people and the church. Ephesians 5.32 says, This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So faith is, being, is believing in something with faith to back it up. It is believing in, in something that has facts to back it up. Faith isn't a pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. It, it is based on facts. So, what about saving faith? At this point, someone may object. Someone might ask whether we have shifted the subject by moving from the common faith that everyone exercises to a faith in, or a religious faith in God. Aren't they two different things, someone might ask. And the answer is no. They are not so long as you're speaking about the nature of faith itself. But yes, they are different if you're speaking of the object of the belief and who that faith is in. Faith is believing in someone or something and acting upon it. Acting upon it is not just giving it lip service. Acting upon it is adjusting your life to be in line with it. So someone who truly recognizes Christ as their savior doesn't just accept with a quick, quick prayer and move on. They take their life and they completely adjust it to mesh with the life of Christ. They turn everything about themselves in line with the word of God to follow Christ. That is a true belief. That is acting upon what you believe. Now, we can believe God exactly as we believe others. The difference between that kind of faith that people exercise every day and saving faith is that faith, saving faith is absolutely certain. For it is faith in the one in the universe who can be completely trusted. James, the brother of Jesus, said in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation Or shadow due to change. Everything righteous and pure comes from God. This is taught in in a striking verse in 1 John. You know, the Apostle John was interested in evidence. Uh, His gospel speaks of seven types of witnesses who witnessed the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And the first epistle he wrote, John 1, begins in in 1 John 1 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So John is saying, look, we were there. We saw it all. We touched it. We experienced it. We saw the lame walk. We saw the blind healed. We saw thousands being fed. And we saw the resurrection. And why are we telling you all this? 1 John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This isn't just a wishful, hopeful thing, folks. This is facts based on evidence. And this is why John is writing to say, Look, we were there. You can know it's true. You can place your faith in Him. He's righteous, he's true, he's whole. John has been speaking about the evidence of faith. So what's the greatest evidence? Well, he writes it in 1 John 5, verses 9 through 10. If we receive the testimony of men, and the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God, that he has come concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony of God God has borne concerning his son. So what does God want most from us? God wants to be believed. We believe in the God of the Bible. We trust people with our lives, with our health, with our families, with our fortunes, every day of our lives. Why should we not believe God? At the best, people are only partially reliable. They can be trusted partially. But God is internally reliable. He is eminently trustworthy. He is the only person in the universe whose word is always his bond. He calls upon us to believe that he gives eternal life to everyone who will believe his son. So are you starting to get this faith thing? Faith is believing what God said and adjusting my life to fit his life. That's what true faith is. And when you adjust your life to fit God's life, then the heart that is surrendered is good with whatever comes. If it's good, if it's bad, if God is going to put me in a difficult situation in order to teach me and train me and use me over here, praise God. I know it seems like we say this every week, but how else could Paul say that I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content? I mean, the guy had been shipwrecked, he'd been whipped, he'd been thrown in prison, he'd been chained, and he was fine with it because he was in the will of God. And when you and I begin to grasp into our lives the surrendered life, the exchange life, the life that surrenders everything to Christ and allows Him to live through us, you will begin to experience the most joyable life possible because in Him is the only true joy. It's not in what happens to us. It's not in where we are or how we live or do we gain our careers, do we meet our goals. It's walking with Christ. It's allowing Him to lead us every step of the way. So, what then, does God ask us to believe? Well, there's two things here I want you to notice. Number one, God demands that we admit we are not perfect before Him. God is perfect, and anyone who fails to meet that standard deserves to be separated from Him. Matthew 5:48 says it about as brutally as you can. "You therefore must be perfect." As your heavenly Father is perfect. Now talk about a standard. I mean, who here this morning is perfect? We all know we're far from perfect. This principle may be hard for the non-Christian to accept, but it should not be because we recognize this kind of person, per, uh, this kind of perfection, in many other areas. I'll give you an example. No one would question the right of the state government to make the requirements necessary for an individual to practice medicine. The state sets the standards, and anyone who wants to practice medicine must meet these standards. Now, you talk about tough standards. If you want to be a doctor, you must graduate from college. After that, you must graduate from medical school with an M.D. This must be followed by an intense internship with competent doctors. And after all that is done, you need to pass another rigorous exam before you're licensed by the state. No sane person would go to anyone claiming to be a doctor who wasn't held to that standard. In a couple of months, when I finally get my hip replaced, I don't want to go to a doctor who's going to say, eh, let's give it a whirl, see what happens. I'm out the door. I've looked at the diagrams. I've seen what happens. Uh Uh-uh. The one I'm going to is the one that's done hundreds and hundreds of them and does them every week and has it down perfectly, and he's passed all the standards. He has all the prerequisites. I want the best doctor I can find. In the same way, God has a right to his requirements. They are summed up as perfection. The only difference between God's demand and the demands of the state boards of the medical is that no one has ever met God's standard. God says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Consequently, human beings deserve separation from God as surely as quacks need to be removed from the medical profession. We are being held to a supernatural standard. But number two, He loves us in spite of our sins. And that's the grace that Tatiana sung about. Jesus Christ removes our sins and restores our fellowship. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All of this done for you and I while our standards were in the dirt. All this done for us when we were dark and blind in our sins and knew nothing different. But because of his love and grace and mercy, he made a way. There are two parts to this transaction. On the one hand, we are sinners and we must be punished. God says that Christ died to bear that punishment in our place. And the second part is that on the basis of Christ's death, God now comes to us and offers us of righteousness entirely as a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't go to school for it. You can't be really smart and try to get it. It's a free gift. So before we were clothed in sin, now we're clothed in righteousness. Before we were aliens, now we're citizens of heaven. Before we were separated from God, now we have fellowship with Him, and our life here on earth has been transformed by His presence. That is true salvation. That is the salvation that will change your heart. So do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you accept this verdict that your sin should bring judgment upon you and bear you eternal separation from God? Do you believe that God sent Jesus Christ to bear the just penalty for your sins and he now offers you free righteousness? If you don't believe these things, you will be condemned to an eternity without God. You see, the one thing about the grace of God, it's free. But you have to take it. You have to accept what He's doing for you. You can't be intellectually smart enough for it. You can't work for it. It's a free gift. And it's given to you for your own salvation because Christ loved us with that immense godly love. So, Where do we go from here? Well, true faith grows. We've considered the initial moments of salvation, saving faith, when faith first seizes upon the fact of God's salvation. This is of tremendous importance, but we must never think that that's where it stops. You see, far too often we take Christ as our Savior and then go back to our lives. Faith grows. Faith progresses. God is growing your faith, taking you to a place of usability where he can do mighty things in your life. Faith is belief, and belief grows stronger as it comes to know the nature and trust of Almighty God. Faith does not start strong, but it's meant to become strong. The faith of Abraham is probably a great example of this. When God called Abraham to leave Ur into the Chaldees, he would, that he would afterwards inherit a land. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now that takes a little faith. To go where you don't know you're going. And this was faith. But such faith did not need to be strong. Because it was simply a faith faith in what God said he would do. But Hebrews goes on to say in Hebrews 11 verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him of the same promise. So this is stronger faith. For it was a belief and an exercise of faith in the, in the midst of famine, danger, and the delay of God's promise. He could have stayed home where he was comfortable. He could have stayed where everything was understandable. He could have stayed and said, you know what, this, I'm good here. I'm wealthy, got all the livestock, families. Why would I want to walk away from it? By faith, he followed God. Then Hebrews 11:11 says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised it. Now I think you'd agree, that's faith. And if you know the whole story about Sarah, when she was told she was going to bear a son, what did she do? She laughed. And her faith wasn't always that strong, and neither is yours and mine. I'm sure we all would have laughed. Her faith wasn't perfect. But this is, folks, the purpose of the trials you and I go through. Because if life never had trials, we'd just coast. We would coast. What do we need God for? Life is good. But we're driven to our knees when trials come. We're driven to our knees when we want something so bad. And it's not coming. And I have a conflict with my faith. God, I'm believing you, but it's not happening. And then we have to get on our knees. And we need to understand, well, God, you're in control of my life. Whatever you're up to, you have me. Wherever you're taking me, you have me. Wherever I should be in my heart, please cultivate within me a life of obedience that I might follow you. By this time, faith was stronger, for it had come to know God as the God of miracles. In the last verses, we come to a great conflict. But understand, every test that came through their lives, even when they made mistakes, and they made lots of mistakes, but as they got through them, they learned more and more about the faithfulness of God you and I are never going to learn about the faithfulness of God without going through life, without experiencing the upward battles, the the mountaintops and the valleys. It's all of this put together that we begin to understand and we're able to respond to God the way God wanted us to do. And it brings us to a mega example in the life of Abraham. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is Father's Day. Can any of you fathers fathom sacrificing your son or daughter? But because Abraham had experienced God's hand all through his life, That when it came to this major test of his heart, of his will, of his emotions, of every part of his life, he willingly went through it. God had promised that Isaac would be the starting of his offspring. And so he reasoned, if God wants me to sacrifice him, God will bring him back from the grave. Now, I'm thankful God doesn't put us to that kind of test. But listen, you need to understand something very important here. Why could Abraham believe God at this time? Simply because he had walked with God through his life. He knew his God. He knew God was love. He knew God that had promised to take him through this. He knew God had promised to make Isaac the start of all the nations. And he had perfect rest in the Father. Abraham's faith rested in God's. He had come to know God by what God had been doing all through his life. He didn't have a pie-in-the-sky faith. He didn't have, oh, I hope so. His faith was grounded in what he knew. Folks, what do you know this morning? Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God will always work things out to your best if you trust Him? Do you know that just like Abraham, God wants you to walk with Him? We said this a couple of weeks ago that... When Adam and Eve fellowship with God, that when sin, that was broken. But when you accept Christ, that fellowship is rekindled. And he wants you to walk with him. He wants to pray. He wants you to pray. He wants to communicate with you. He wants you to be in his word so you know just how he works. In fact, why do you think this book was recorded? So that you could see what God put Abraham through. And see the results. You could see what he did with Ruth and Naomi. You could see what he did with with Moses and Joshua and all the prophets. You could see what he did with Paul and Peter and Matthew. You could read all about it and know, wow, this is for me. Everything in this book is for you and I to know that God is faithful. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. His desire is for you to have a life of incredible victory. It may not always be on your standards. But when the difficulties hit and you're struggling to see what God is doing, true faith rests in the faith of God, in the faith of Jesus Christ, and knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that He will lead you to his perfect plan. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, we read about all the great conquering things, but we also read about the people that got nothing. They got murdered, cut in half, boiled in oil. But God used them to bring glory to him. That is the purpose that he's after. You know why we really fear and struggle with faith? There's really only one reason. Because we're afraid that our want won't line up with His want. That's really what it comes down to. But listen, when you live by faith, your want is His want. Perfect faith casts out fear. Now what's my favorite verse? Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of thy heart. When you rest your faith in Christ... He changes your heart to desire what He wants. And when you get up in the morning, you hear the birds chirping, you don't care if it's sunny or raining, you know that the desire of your heart is God's desire. Man, you can't lose living that kind of life. Now, let me sum this up with what God said about Abraham. And I pray That this could be said about every one of us. Romans chapter 4, verse 20, 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Do you believe God this morning? Or are you in a battle of the will? Are you trusting God to do what He's promised to do? He's not a liar. He is eminently trustworthy. And if God loved you so much to send His Son to die on that cross, He will guide your life in perfection if you surrender to Him. This is the normal growth of faith. True faith is my resting my faith in the faith that Christ has provided. And you know, we, we, we say John 3.30 every week, say it in prayer meetings around the church, talk of it with each other, but when we say that He must increase and I must decrease, all we're saying is, Lord, Your way must be the predominant way in my heart and life because then Success is guaranteed. You have it offered to you this morning. Will you take it and run with the giants? Father, we thank you for this word and we thank you for the powerful verses of faith and what you've done. Lord, when it comes down to our struggles, it's always a battle of our will. Life happens. Things come at us that we have no control over, but it's how we give them to you where the true success is found. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who is struggling with faith right now, they want something desperately, they don't see it, help them to realize that giving it to you and trusting you to do what you have promised to do, whether it comes to pass or not, will come according to your will. And that's where the true joy is. If there's anyone here struggling with faith, they don't know you as their Savior, God, I pray that you would convict them, that your Spirit would work in their hearts, that you would draw them to you and bring them to one of us, that we might show them beyond the shadow of a doubt how they can know they have eternal life. And for all us Christians, Lord, who every day are plodding through, trying to get by, Help us to realize that you'll do the plotting for us if we just give up our wills to you. Thank you, Lord. Bless the fathers today. Give them a wonderful day. Bless our families. Bless those who have traveled to visit their fathers and those that are on vacation. Bring them back safely. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory in Christ's precious name. Amen. God bless